was just kind of tired of working for other people and I really just wanted to be creative uh, again. Um, I just thought like, I'm going to try my hand at this, but again, like just to, in order to pay rent there and, you know, buy the food that I needed from Whole Foods, um, <laughs> I, I just couldn't, I couldn't make ends meet if I wasn't working full time. Hi, my name is Eric Sillis and I am your host. And you are listening to episode 15 of the Preboot Cincy podcast. And this is actually the fifth episode in our second season, a season dedicated entirely to telling the stories of Cincinnati entrepreneurs. And today we're bringing you the story of Julia Fisher, the founder and CEO of the Play Library. And for Julia, this story starts in her childhood, uncovering both the passions and the pressures that she grew up with. And they're really formative to who she is and how she approaches the business that she runs. So at its very core, Play Library is a library, but instead of books, we lend out games and toys. Okay, I'm actually going to correct Julia here for a second. And I don't normally do this, especially only seven seconds into someone talking. But at its core, Play Library is so much more than just a place that lends out toys. In fact, here's Julia talking a bit more about what Play Library truly is about. So I just want the world to play more. I think that play is super, super important at every stage of your life, and there's research to back that up. Um, and I think as we get older, we forget that we're allowed to play. And I don't understand why that is, because like, what happened? What, what happens as we get older that we decide we can't play anymore? Um, so I want to make sure that play stays a very significant part of everyone's life throughout their entire lifetime. So is this something that's for kids or for adults then? It's definitely for everybody. Just like the public library, we want to make sure that we had something for literally everyone. And honestly, they really do. They have a space that when you walk in, it makes anyone just want to smile. And they have games and toys for, again, kids and adults. And on top of that, they also host events all the time. Again, pretty much for everyone and anyone. So every month we have a 21 and up game night. Um, sometimes they're themed. Sometimes they're just come on in, grab a game, have a beer, hang out. Um, and then we do, we've, we're trying to actually focus more of our events towards adults because of that reason. Like adults forget that they can play. But if you say the word toy to a kid, they're in here and one second so it's really easy to get a kid to come in and play so um and then any event that we do outside we try to make it family so we had a parachute event in the park last week and um it was our, our rule number two was parents no sitting on the sidelines because your kid wants to play with you they don't care about me they don't want to play with me they want to play with their parents and so if the parents get in there and play with them the kid's going to remember that day playing parachute with their mom or dad but there's one other thing that the play library has that i think is really cool it's a little tribute julia calls it the toy museum and it's a tribute to Cincinnati's toy history. Now, you may not know it, but Cincinnati actually has a really rich toy history. A history that can be traced through classic franchises like Star Wars and the DC Comics and the Justice League. But it's also where a lot of classic games got their start. Games that you probably grew up playing as a kid. 
So Kenner started here, and then they were ultimately bought up by Hasbro. Um, Kenner had the Star Wars license, which made them rocket to fame, but they've also made a bunch of other stuff that was really awesome. We've got Kenner's first ever toy gun, which was a bubble gun, and it was made of metal. Um, we also have the Hall of Justice, which looks just like the Museum Center. Um, it was modeled after that, actually. All right, let's take a quick time out for just a little bit of Cincinnati trivia. If you didn't know it, Julia just said a fact that's kind of cool. Union Terminal, which is now the Cincinnati Museum Center, right outside of downtown, was the building that actually inspired the building for the Hall of Justice, the place where all the DC superheroes gathered. So that's like Superman, Wonder Woman, Spider-Man, The Flash. The building that they all gathered in, the Hall of Justice, was modeled exactly after Union Terminal. And if you don't believe me, just Google it. Look at a picture. They're pretty much identical. But let's go back to the list of other things that you may or may not have known about Cincinnati. And then we also have stuff that was made by a lot of different companies that were started here. So we Uno was started here. The Magic 8-Ball was invented here. Um, Spirograph, all kinds of stuff. Who'd have thought? So if you're interested in becoming a member of the Play Library, good news, because it's super easy. So anyone can become a member. Um, it's the, the memberships are based on how many items you want to take out at a time. So members only can take stuff out. It's right now it's free to come in and play. So anyone can come do that, whether you're a member or not. But if you want to take things out, like, like a library, um, you have to be a member. So there's a small fee depending on the number of things you want to take out at a time. So if you'd like to check out the play library, it's located at 1517 Elm street. It's just a block and a half up from Washington park. And that location is really significant to Julia, not just because it's that close to a brand new, really awesome family-friendly park, but because it's in a part of town that's still being revitalized. There's a lot of new energy and new passion brought into that part of town, but there's also a lot of great people who have lived there for a long time. And that makes the role of the Play Library even more significant to Julia. So we need all these different kinds of people that will be able to be in here and help us out. So um, gentrification is happening. There's nothing that I can do to stop it. But one thing that I can do is get everyone out there to come in here. And the next thing you know, everybody is absolutely equal. It's really awesome to see little kids start communicating with each other of very different backgrounds. And then the parents start talking to each other. And then suddenly they're all sitting around around a table playing a game together. It's just it's just the coolest thing. So if you'd like to support this mission, you could not only just buy a membership for yourself, you can buy it for another family as well. You can sponsor a local family from the neighborhood so that those kids can walk down the street with their parents and have the opportunity to play with the kind of toys that they otherwise might not have access to. We also have memberships that you can purchase for another family that wouldn't otherwise be able to afford a membership. So you can buy a sponsor membership for a local family to be able to use a library. I love the mission of the Play Library, helping adults rediscover the importance of play and helping to foster and fuel kids' imagination. These are really important things in the world. And it kind of makes me wonder, what did Julia want to be when she was a kid? What did she love to do? What was her vision for the future and what dreams did she have? So I... so. I really loved sweeping, so I, for a long time, thought I wanted to be a housekeeper, um, and then I, but then I don't love cleaning bathrooms, and I didn't realize I was a part of it, um, but then also, I remember once my parents asking me what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I told them I wanted to be an inventor, 
And uh, I remember them asking me, what, well, what, what do you want to invent? And I was like, well, that's why I want to be an inventor, because I genuinely thought that like, once you become that, you know what you want to invent. And so since Julia didn't really know what it meant to have a career as an inventor, she decided to pursue her career in sweeping. No, seriously, you heard that right. When Julia chose her major, she chose it because of her love for sweeping. And so I wanted to know, besides the aforementioned house cleaning, what career was out there for people who just love to sweep? Archaeology. (laughs) (laughs) I was sure that I was going to be an archaeologist because that's the grown-up version of sweeping, but you get to mini-sweep tiny little fossils as you're digging things up. So that's cool things. Exactly. So that's definitely what I went to. That's what I went to college for. Um, And then... I took an intro to anthropology class um, that was a requirement. And I had come from a relatively small high school. and we, we had, I think, 80 people in our whole grade. Um, and so to be thrown into this gigantic lecture class that was only test-based, I ended up getting like a C- minus or a D. And I was convinced I was failing and there was no way I was going to get through college. So my, I had a friend who was an art major. And I was like, art? I can do that. What do you have to do? Draw? So I just transferred into the art school, which was ridiculous because it turns out art school is really, really hard. I can vouch for that. I have a design degree and it was really challenging. But Julia made it out, not with just one degree, but with two. Um, So I graduated with a double major in advertising design and visual communications. Well, I guess it's similar and marketing. Um... And so when I when I moved back to New York, I decided that I decided I wanted to invent toys. And the reason is because um, I thought like toys are a service, right? Like everybody, no matter how old you are, if you get to open up a toy, like a gift that's a toy, then you're thrilled about it. Um, And the other reason is because everything that I was drawing was cute. I remember I had to do a print ad for Alzheimer's as one of our projects in school, and um, it was absolutely adorable, which is totally inappropriate for an Alzheimer's print ad. So Julia moved back to New York with her dream of being an inventor alive and well, and getting the chance to invent toys, something that she really loved and was passionate about. I, I went around, this was back in the day when you could literally walk into a company and be like, hey, I want to work here. Um, so I remember just going to various, I did my research, I went into various toy companies and I was just like, hey, I want to do this, what do I need to do to do this? So I was hired by a couple of places, so I freelanced um, at a couple of small toy companies that were like seasonal kind of toys. Um, I did a bunch of Halloween stuff and then I did a couple dolls. Um, and that was really, really fun, except my parents are doctors and they were very concerned that he didn't have health insurance because I was freelancing. So they told me I had to get a real job, um, which whatever that means. So I started working at an ad agency. It was a really big ad agency called Gray, which is like nationally, like worldwide, I should say. Um, and I hated it. I was suddenly went from being this like big deal college girl I thought I could like rule the world to like being the tiniest little aunt in New York City. Um, I was the assistant to the creative director, which basically just meant like literally like I had to get her lunch and I it was just it was just not the right environment for me at all. Um, And so that lasted about eight months. And after that, I decided to start writing grants for a sexual and reproductive health nonprofit because I wanted nothing to do with corporate anymore. So a few minutes ago, you may not have noticed it, but Julia mentioned that she went to a pretty small high school. 
And then you just heard Julia say that her parents were both doctors. Now, this is actually kind of important to who Julia is, and it's definitely a huge part of her story. And so I wanted Julia to describe the high school that she went to in a little bit more detail. So the suburb that I grew up in was a very, you could say, wealthy suburb of New York City. Um, It was just north of the Bronx, basically. Everybody was doing sports to get into the best college and doing all the extracurriculars to get into the best college. Um, the, The goal was getting into Harvard or Yale and then with the hope of becoming a doctor or a lawyer or working at a hedge fund or something like that in New York City. So um, that was kind of where my head was. I knew that that was, as far as I was concerned, the measure of success, uh, which was really stressful because I wasn't that kind of student and I didn't want to be those things. So I was grappling with my wants and the thing that I thought I should be. Managing expectations, whether they're your own expectations or expectations that others place on you. Or learning how to deal with pressure, pressures that other people place on you or pressures that you might place on yourself. This is a pretty important part of Julia's story. And I think it's an important part of a lot of people's stories, whether you're an entrepreneur or not. But growing up in this environment, Julia placed a lot of pressures on herself. Some of them may have been subconscious, others maybe a little bit more overt. But they were there nonetheless. Um, Never once did my parents say to me, you should become a doctor. And in fact, they always said that I shouldn't become a doctor because that was their life. And they knew that like at any given moment in the middle of the night, they'd have to go into the hospital for emergency. And they were on call at times when they'd rather be at home with my sister and I. Um, But yet there was this unspoken pressure solely because it's kind of like, when other kids were being talked about, like my parents' friends' kids, it was like, oh, he's a doctor, he's a lawyer. So it was it was a peer pressure without the actual like blatant like peer pressure part of it. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so when your parents say, get a real job, did, this, did that come back? I mean, is that what you felt? Sure. But again, it's a pressure I've always placed on myself. It wasn't anything that they were saying or doing to make me feel that way. It was just me deciding that I had to measure up to this level of what I considered success um, based on where I had grown up. Like, I needed to have a Lexus or the newest BMW. And so a lot of your friends then are going on to do these things, to get into the big colleges. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely were. Um, and I also went to a really good college, so for whatever that means. Um, so a lot of the people with whom I went to school with were extremely intelligent and so, so much more capable than me. Um, I had this really unique experience of, so I wasn't a good test taker. I actually, I'm dyslexic, so um, taking tests was really hard for me. But um, I got into this program called the A School in my high school. Um, my junior and senior year and it was all writing based and we would sort of like teach each other our classes Um, but obviously there was an instructor there um, except for math and science so that's really what allowed me to get into as good of a school as I ended up getting into Um, of course the school I went to has one of the best medical programs in the country uh, which I'm sure there was some again peer pressure on my parents part they really wanted me to go there not because they thought I'd be a doctor, but just because it was a really well-known school and just on the off chance that I wanted to become a doctor, that was a really good place to be. Okay, 
we kind of jumped around a little bit, so I want to do a really quick recap of Julia's story so far. Julia went to college to study archaeology so she could pursue her lifelong love of sweeping. However, she quickly realized that wasn't right for her, and so she decided to switch majors. After graduating with a double major in advertising and visual communication, she moved out to New York, and she actually got to work as a toy designer for a few months. However, to provide something a bit more stable, she got a job at a high-profile ad agency. And after being in that world for a little bit, she actually decided to leave and go write grants for a nonprofit. But then in New York, she met someone, and they decided to move out to L.A. together where her dream and passion of being a toy designer would once again come to life. And we're going to hear a little bit about that in a minute. But before we do that, we want to take a break for a new segment, a segment we're calling Garage Stories. For years, the garage has been the center of the American entrepreneurial story. It's the place where dreams are turned into reality, where the first prototypes are made, where the first inventory is stocked. And it's a place of late nights and early mornings. And it's also the place where Braxton Brewing Company got their start. Brewing beer in the garage just because they loved it. And Braxton wants to celebrate these entrepreneurs. So much so that right in the middle of their taproom, they put a giant garage door. And behind that garage door is a co-working space where you will find entrepreneurs working hard to turn their dream into a reality. Entrepreneurs like Yalitza. Hi, my name is Yalitza Jean Charles, and I'm the CEO and founder of Healthy Roots. Healthy Roots is a toy company that utilizes dolls, storybooks, and an app to teach natural hair care to young girls of color. Our dolls come in different skin tones, facial features, and hair textures to accurately represent the diversity of the African diaspora. And our book is an illustrated guide that teaches natural hair care step by step. And our app is super cute because girls get to put in information every day about their hair and track their hair health. And like a lot of the entrepreneurs we featured this season, Elita's inspiration came from her own experiences and also include a tear or two. I was like nine, my parents had bought me the first black doll I had ever gotten. And when they handed her to me, I instantly started crying because to me, she wasn't the pretty white doll that I'd seen on TV. And there are so many girls that identify with this story. So I said, hey, we need products for kids like like me because over 50% of kids in the U.S. are going to be children of color and they don't have products for them. But Yulitsa didn't want to just make a doll that looked like herself. She wanted to make dolls that represented girls of color everywhere. And it turns out that that means a lot more than just skin color. And by that I mean they're often just the brown they're often just a brown version of the white doll that already exists. Same face mold, um, just straight hair that's darker and painted brown. So Elitza set out to create a better set of dolls. Dolls with hair that girls could play with just like their own hair. And on top of that, an app and a book to teach them about their natural hair and how to care for it. And Elitza was actually working on this while she was a junior in college at the Rhode Island School of Design. And so she decided to take her project to Kickstarter. We set our goal at 35000 and we ultimately raised 50000 with some money on the side um, after for like pre-orders. And it was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. I definitely cried the second week. Uh, <laughs> super stressful. That is Yulitsa Jean Charles of Healthy Roots Dolls. If you'd like to check out more about Healthy Roots Dolls or order your own, you can do so at HealthyRootsDolls.com or check her out at Healthy Roots Dolls on Facebook or Instagram. Braxton Brewing Company, lift one to life. And now, back to the show. So we pick up the story with Julia living in L.A., working again as a toy designer. 
I worked at very large toy companies, uh, large manufacturing companies. So really in the industry, in the place that I was making toys, it's very much client based. So um, you would design something that you thought was like the coolest thing in the world. And then it would go back to the client and they'd be like, no, I want that to look nothing like that and it should be blue like wait what oh okay so then we'd have to go back to the drawing board and by the time you were done it wasn't at all your idea it was exactly what they you know the sales people wanted and what the customer wanted which is fine but it's just it's not as creative as I thought it would be but it wasn't just the lack of creativity that was bothering Julia there was something else sort of gnawing at her inside very big box stores demand that things are made at a very low price point so that customers can afford them. Um, but unfortunately, within that, um, we ended up having to make the toys out of the most inexpensive materials in order to reach those price points. And so those things were, I knew that they would break in three months and I felt like I was creating colorful landfill. Um, I just didn't feel good about what I was doing ultimately. So this was around the time that like sharing models were starting, so it's probably like 10 years ago now, um, Airbnb and Uber and these things were just starting to become a thing, this, this term sharing model. Um, and I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool if there was a place where all kids had access to the highest quality toys and games? Um, and those high quality toys and games exist, but unfortunately they're so financially out of reach for most people because they're sold at specialty stores. Like you see really great toys in Whole Foods, but they're really expensive. So, um, the other way to do that would be for kids to share them. And if they're high quality enough, they shouldn't break. Um, so that was my idea. And that's sort of, that's the, that was step one of why Play Library started. And so the idea took root in Julia's mind. Let's create a place where people can share these really nice toys. And like most people who have an idea they're excited about, Julia turned it into a side project. Something she would work on nights and weekends. Something she was passionate about. But then that part-time thing ended up having to become her full-time thing. It was on the side, um, and then it was a bit organic in that I was, we, the company I was with had a massive layoff. Um, there was like 200 of us laid off in a day. And so I was like, well, <laughs> I was just kind of tired of working for other people, and I really just wanted to be creative. Uh, again, um, I just thought, like, I'm going to try my hand at this. But again, like, just in order to pay rent there and you know buy the food that I needed from Whole Foods um <laughs> I I just couldn't I couldn't make ends meet if I wasn't working full-time so Julia spent about five years working for the toy designer in LA and then she spent about another year trying to make play library happen but she couldn't really get it off the ground they had a few events and were able to do a few things but they never got to have a true brick and mortar and honestly, that's just because L.A. was too expensive. The cost for her apartment alone was already too high. And adding on a retail space on top of that, she just couldn't make it happen. But as life would have it, Julia was actually going to find herself moving across the U.S. From L.A. to Cincinnati. And the reason for this was actually because of a doctor. When I was living in Los Angeles, and actually the reason that I found my way to Cincinnati um, was I was living with a doctor in LA um, because, you know, dating one is next to being one, right? Um, so uh, he got into a residency program here. So that's what moved us out here. So Julia finds herself moving across 
most of the U.S. to a city where the cost of living and the cost for rent is significantly less. And if you're trying to start a business, the dollar goes a lot further in Cincinnati than in L.A. And so I wanted to know, was that Julia's plan? Was she going to move to Cincinnati and try and launch Play Library here, where it was a little bit more affordable? I didn't. So my relationship was rocky when we got here. Uh, I'd say it was rocky on the way over. Um, And so I knew that I needed to be working. Um, I wanted to meet people when I got here because I knew nobody. I'm not from the Midwest. I don't know anything about Ohio. Um, So I thought it was important to make some connections. I've always had friends. So... Um, So I started working at a small company on Main Street that was a design firm that did toy stuff. Um, The position that I was given, the role that I got there, it just wasn't really where my heart was. Um, It was was sales kind of stuff, which is great, but not for me, because I'm always like, oh, I mean, you can have this if you want, but like, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. I'm just not a salesperson. So, So then I got another job actually at a video company Um, in Longworth Hall and that was fantastic the people were amazing but again my heart really wasn't in it because I knew what I had come here for was to open play library here so I just I wasn't as enthusiastic as I knew I should be and I just didn't feel like I was doing a good job for them or myself so once I ended that job there I just launched right into this with the help of People's Liberty. Julia had a friend who was encouraging her to apply for this grant through the People's Liberty. In fact, her friend said if Julia didn't submit the play library as an idea, she was going to do it instead. So eventually Julia did submit her idea. And she got it. It was a $15,000 grant. And it also let her set up the play library in the pop-up shop for a month or two so she could test out the idea. And that's where play library officially got its start. Yeah, so um, so success is an interesting word that comes up all the time. I don't really know what success means anymore. I think measuring success is so varied, but um, but yes, it was successful in that as so I only had that space for two months. Um, and as soon as we left, it as it as I found out, people kept going over there and asking what happened to play library and then emailing me and asking when I was going to reopen. So to me, that was success. Um, and it made me realize that I really needed to reopen this because there was actually a demand for it and people really missed having us around. And so because of this success, Julia decided, let's open up a real shop, not a temporary one, a permanent play library. And it honestly didn't hurt that she found someone who could help her do it. Next thing I know, this guy is driving from Pittsburgh to Nashville for work, and we met each other randomly, and it was the best thing in the world because... His job isn't an artist, but he really is an artist. And without him, I could never have really launched Play Library in the way that it is right now. Um, He helped me build a ton of stuff in here. He's got the most fantastic ideas. And so we built Play Library together. And I thank him so much for for it looking like this and for the fact that our shelves are um, screwed into the walls. Um, I'm kind of a good enough is good person, but he's very much a perfect is good person so uh so for everyone's safety you should thank him so the play library has been a long time in the making the idea started many years ago and the first attempt to launch it not too long after but after trying it once moving across state lines holding a few other jobs and then applying for a grant the play library is officially in business and now julia faces 
a familiar question. A question she asks herself often. The question is, is this successful? And there's a lot of ways that Julia could define success. And there's a lot of reasons why the answer to that question is absolutely yes. It might be that they've never had to apply for funding or that they get a new member almost every single day. Or it's possibly that when kids get told it's time to leave, they fall on the floor crying because they don't want to go. These are all ways that you could measure success. But that answer isn't easy for Julia to answer. Um, So again, that word success comes up and I I get asked that by customers a lot all the time. Like, is this successful? How are you doing? Um, And again, like, I don't really know how to answer that. So the fact that people are in here every day that we're open, that's success, right? People seem to be loving it. Um, I get asked to do events at lots of different places and I'm at the point where I have to turn some down, which I think is another measure of success because um, I'm not clamoring for things anymore. I'm not begging my way in. I'm actually getting to say that I'm sorry I can't because I already have something else planned or whatever it is. Um, and just the fact that, like I mentioned, we have yet to actually apply for funding, but we have received a lot of funding. So um, just through meeting a lot of people and constantly talking about what it is that I'm doing, we've gotten really just such generous gifts from various family foundations and such in the city. And our members especially are incredibly generous and come in here and just give us money to make sure that we stay open. Um, we got we have a lot of regulars at this point too, which is just so much fun. Um, I, I just recently hired our first hire and my boyfriend said to me like, this is so great because now I'll be able to work out of the office more, out of the storefront more. And as I thought about that, I got sad because There's a little girl, Margaret, who lives down the street who every Saturday morning when she comes, she picks a little flower for me and brings it in. And I was like, you know what? I'm still going to be here because I need that flower from Margaret on Saturday mornings. So um, so that so that kind of thing, I I also I just love and I, I measure that as success. But on a practical note, this is a really hard question for Julia to answer. And it's not just because there's the typical monthly bills she's got to pay. That's not necessarily the problem. But it's actually because there are certain things we're told that most people do in life. Things like buying a house. And Julia actually told me that she was closer to being able to buy a house in her 20s than she is in her 30s. And that's weird for her because it doesn't follow the typical narrative that our culture tells us we should follow. How do you how do you deal with that? Um, I, I get sad a lot. <laughs> uh, it usually ends up, I usually end up bawling myself into a tiny ball on the floor. Um, but I, I mean, again, like I'm lucky to be in this city where things just don't cost as much and I don't travel like I used to. I'm working all the time, so I can't, but, um, we don't have the option to. And so, you know, I guess I just, I'm a, I'm a, hugely optimistic person in that like I was saying like I just decided to open the storefront with no funding um, I just assume that one day the funding's going to start pouring in people are going to start walking by our door and just throwing money at us um, and then I'll be able to do these grown-up things that I dream of doing do you ever have just that doubt like did I choose the wrong thing oh my god almost every single day yeah almost every day I'm like I, I go home and I'm like should I get a job but then my boyfriend reminds me that I in fact have a job. Um, 
But uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm constantly doubting myself, and then you know, it, it's funny too because you meet with a lot of people, and some people believe so hard in what it is that you're doing that you walk out of there like, yes, I'm gonna change the world, and then you meet with other people that are just like, oh, how are you gonna stay sustainable? And you're just like, I have no idea, and then you just leave super super sad. Um, so I mean, I'm my my I'm daily like a roller coaster of emotion. But what about all that pressure? The pressure she felt from growing up around would-be doctors and lawyers and hedge fund managers. It was really hard for Julia to break the definition of success from a title and a social status and even a certain financial security. And so Julia, whether she wanted to or not, was always kind of wondering what these people thought about her. And then one day she got a message from one of those friends and she found out firsthand. I mean, so all these friends that I hold in such high regard, I mean, my I have a, one of my roommates from college is working for the city, for the government, and like making these ridiculous changes to New York City that are far beyond my capability. But, um, you know, she she was one of the people that said to me, like, how excited she was for what I was doing. And, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if, like, please bring this to Brooklyn? Or I have other friends in L.A. that are doing really I have so many friends in LA that are doing really really well as far as I'm concerned and are always saying like this is fantastic like please bring this idea to LA um I recently had a one of my really good friends wrote to me after we had done an event here um that was packed and awesome um but so she saw the photos and she immediately wrote to me on Facebook and said like you know I can't believe how fantastic you're doing I, I knew that this would all work out for you it's, I'm just so proud of you and then I was laughing to myself because she was literally on her way to Bali as she was emailing this to me um so of course in my mind I was like what like I'm not doing anything as compared to like what you're doing right now but but anyway it's it's really it's a cool thing but then the thing that's funny right about social media in general is that like you only post the the only things that get posted are the really good things so yeah she saw this like really packed event that we had that really was a successful event but then she doesn't see all the times when I'm in that little ball crying and wondering when my net like how I'm gonna possibly get paid to do this and so if you want to help Julia live out her dream of actually getting paid to do this you can do so by buying a membership. Or the Play Library also accept donations of many kinds. Um, yeah, I just want to add that we take all kinds of donations. We take, obviously, monetary, um, and that's what's going to keep us in Cincinnati. Um, we need all the support we can get. And then we take donations of toys and games. Even if your toys and games are broken or missing pieces, we just don't want to see things that can be played with go to the landfill. There's always a way to make it into something new. Um, we'll make art projects out of it, or we'll add your little action figure into our chess set if our chess set miss is missing a piece. That thing is still playable. Um, also, like I said, if you have a game that is missing pieces, we most likely have the same game and we're going to be missing pieces so we can use your pieces to replace ours. So the last question I ask every single entrepreneur is, what advice would you have for any aspiring entrepreneurs? Or if you had to do it all over again, what would you do differently? And Julia said, honestly, there's not much she would change. Everything she did is what helped her get to the point she is today, whether it was good or bad. The only thing she might have done was start a bit sooner. Um, so if I could do this over again, I would have done it just the way I did it. I might have started it when I was younger and there was less at stake. 
Um, but, and when I say that, I just mean like I'm at the point where I wish I could buy a house. Um, and when I was younger, I hadn't thought about that yet, really. Um, but otherwise, I mean, I wouldn't have done anything differently. Like I, I really, I truly believe in it, that if I hadn't opened this, and even though I had no funding to do it, um, if I hadn't just opened, I wouldn't have gotten rolling. Because I, I was really spinning my wheels for all those years when I was thinking of the idea and I didn't do anything about it. Um, but the moment it opened, there's this pressure of, well, now I have to do this, and now people are counting on me, and now little kids like Margaret are counting on me being open, and open for a long time. Um, so there's that pressure that just makes you keep going, and also the excitement that makes you keep going. When people walk in these doors and they're like, wow, this place is cool, I'm like, okay, now I have to find funding to keep this going and keep it, keep it up and running. So I'd say, yeah, advice-wise, like just, just start, just do it. Just stop ex making the excuses and just literally open and do what you want to be doing. On the next episode of the Preboots and Sea podcast, we're going to talk with Wayne Kiphart, the founder and CEO of Gratia, which is an IT service company. And Wayne has a really unique perspective for us. He's become an entrepreneur a little bit later in life than most of the entrepreneurs I've talked to, which means that he has a long career, a career he's learned a lot from, a career that's gone through its ups and downs. Extremes that include some pretty low failures, but also successes like becoming president and CEO of companies. And all of that and everything he learned led him to where he is today, starting his own business. And we're going to have a clip from that episode in just a minute. But if you want to make sure that you don't miss that episode, the best thing you can do is hit subscribe on whatever platform you like to listen to podcasts. Maybe like the one you're listening to right now. Just click the little subscribe button. It's that easy. And if you enjoyed this episode, I ask that you would consider sharing it. And if you wonder, well, what's in it for me? I'm glad you asked. Because my friend Doug Burns at the Rivertown Inquiry has generously said that he would give away one of his Since He Is For Dreamer shirts for every episode this season. All you have to do is share a link to this episode using the hashtag Since He Is For Dreamers. Again, that's hashtag since he is for dreamers and go ahead and tag at preboot podcast on either Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter in that post, just to make sure that I don't miss it. That way your name will be entered into the drawing to win one of the since he is for dreamer shirts from Doug Burns and the Rivertown Inquiry. And while you're at it, feel free to check out all the other awesome stuff that Doug has at his shop at therivertowninquiry.com. Thanks again, Doug, for supporting this podcast and all the amazing entrepreneurs in Cincinnati. And now a clip from the next episode. It's, um, I can't tell you why I've always had this little feeling inside of, I would like to get something of my own going. I wished that, uh, probably sometimes I wish that feeling wasn't there. You know, I have friends who are perfectly satisfied with what they do for a living and that, and that's great for them. I really do. I, that's, I actually sometimes even envy them because sometimes I wake up at night thinking about, man, this might be the great new thing or this could happen or, you know, at two o'clock in the morning, my eyes open up and I'm like, this could work. And I just, sometimes I wish that I was a person that, that, that could just wake up in the morning, go do what I need to do and come home.